The Down for Disruption podcast may contain language and subject matter such as trauma, abuse, sexual violence, mental crisis, homelessness, and other sensitive topics that some may find unsettling or offensive. Views expressed by the host are not that of the Alive Network or its affiliates, nor is any commentary a substitute for medical or clinical advice and treatment. Listeners are welcome to explore the opinions and suggestions of any invited expert as they do so choose, but medical recommendations of any kind will not be made by any Alive Network party nor its affiliates. The Alive Network and its affiliates assume no responsibility nor liability for any undue distress or harm one should cause as a result of any spoken or written commentary by either the host or guests that listeners misinterpret or take out of context. We thank you for your support. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Down for Disruption, the safe sandbox for black and brown women over the age of 40 who are struggling to survive midlife events and a mental health diagnosis. It's a lot, y'all. I am your host, the menopausal misbehave her, AJ Wright's mental, that's W-R-I-T-E, mental. Here in the Safe Sandbox, we will heal, we will support one another. All of my magnificent melanin ladies and those who you know feel hopeless, or think they're diagnosable. We're going to talk about generational trauma, family dysfunction, accountability, and hold each other's hands. You'll hear from some great therapists on the show. And hey, we're going to take notes and really, really support one another. So climb into the safe sandbox if you can relate. Whether your issue is hot flashes while going through bipolar episodes, generalized anxiety about mammogram appointments held dating after divorce and broken vibrators listen down for disruption we're going to talk about it all we're going to get educated we're going to have fun and hopefully this is a place where you can self-soothe and self-care enjoy the show (sighs) all right sandbox champions we made it to season two how did you guys like season one? I'm sorry, ladies. How did you ladies like season one? I mean, that that was trauma intensive. I, I know I'm, I'm not here to trigger them, flashback anybody, but I had to get context out of the way. If you missed anything last season, please go back and listen to one and two. It is triggering. That is why this podcast has a trigger warning at the beginning. Okay. But it serves as context for all of the things going forward, you know, three through eight, when when we had therapists on talking about everything from the differences between panic attacks and anxiety attacks and what really is and it's not in the diagnostic statistical manual to, you know, midlife changes with regards to parents, you know, half of the Gen Xers are taking care of baby boomers. They're changing 80-year-old diapers and eight-month-old diapers. We got a lot going on. And then, of course, um, you know, the Tabitha Morris stopped by for episode six to talk to us about when the caretaker looks the other way, right? That whole conversation again. Trust, mama knew what the hell uncle so-and-so was doing to us. And so, so much more. So I, hopefully you'll find value in season one. And I did what my assignment was. Um, and I hope you guys like the prizes. 
you know, it, it, it was a, a lot of fun seeing everybody's um, response to the different questions and having to go back and dig through episodes for clues. But hey, prize winner one and two, we're so happy. So here we have season nine today. And this this kicks off with a phenomenal therapist who, I mean, it's like the imposter syndrome, you know, sensei. Guru um, Charmaine Walker out of Atlanta, Georgia. So episode nine is my room, my table, my turn. Owing, owning your space in multiple places after they said you don't belong. Y'all, y'all know I got a special place in my heart for the been put out of better places than this crowd, right? <laughs> Whether that was, you know, work or, or, or church or some relationship. Look, we're going to show up somewhere, right? And and let everybody know what our name is. And Charmaine is going to tell us how to do that flawlessly. Let me tell y'all a little bit about her. Okay. Charmaine, you doing all right I'm over doing there? Just fine. Thank you. Excited about being You're here. You're welcome. <laughs> Great. Okay. So Charmaine Walker is a clinical mental health therapist who creates a holistic and supportive and empowering approach to her practice, which includes traditional therapeutic methods, as well as EMDR. She can tell you a little bit about that. Clinical hypnotherapy, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, so if, if the grad students are listening, we're, we're seriously bordering CME here. And that's cool. Whether dealing with anxiety, depression, trauma, or working through interpersonal conflicts, Charmaine helps her clients access and utilize their inner resources to alleviate the mental and physical effects of living a stressful life and to get rid of limiting <laughs> beliefs that have been, you know, holding us back and holding us down. Uh, her mantra is, we have all the resources within us to live the life we desire and deserve. Um, Charmaine is the owner of Center of You, LLC Counseling in McDonough, Georgia. And she's licensed in everything, okay, as a professional counselor, a national certified counselor, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing Therapy, EMDR, right? Shout out to all the PTSD folks. She's a certified clinical hypnotherapist as well as a certified yoga teacher. Excuse me, I guess I should say doctor pretty soon. <laughs> Charmaine Walker is, you know, helping the diaspora even more as she is now in a counselor education and supervisory doctoral program at the University of Georgia. But I mean, the girl has been everywhere. Okay. She's got a master's in clinical mental health counseling from Mercer and then an MS in asset management and investment from New York University. And somewhere over there, she started out in engineering at Cornell for undergrad. Now, how the hell you go from engineering to EMDR? I don't know. Maybe she can tell y'all that. But hey, Charmaine. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> yes, it's been, a, it's been a quite a long, windy road. But, you know, such is life. I'm here where I'm <sighs> supposed to be right now. So I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tell people, you know, a lot of us over 40, you know, some are starting families, but a lot are empty nesters. And we're wondering, OK, now what do I do with myself? You know, I've given so much 
you, you know, for the past, like how many ever years. And now it's time for me. But what direction do I go into? What the hell do I do? You know, if you remember that episode of the Cosby show, when they added that room onto the house and clear, was just like, I waited 20 years for this room after saying almost a whole episode, I have nothing <laughs> right. to give. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> So here we are with my room, my table, my turn, owning your space in multiple places after they said you don't belong. Okay, so if I can jump right into some questions here, Charmaine, first of all, explain what EMDR and hypnotherapy are. Okay, so EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and it's a therapeutic approach that really came about to help people, veterans with PTSD. But it was later found it could really help with just about anything. And what what usually occurs is that most people with trauma, most people who have like anxiety or depression and maybe even bipolar disorder, there's some trauma back there someplace. And if we can get and what Mm -hmm. what I like about EMDR is that we can get to the trauma and let's let's identify trauma. It doesn't have to be what we consider the big traumas. It doesn't have to be that you were, um, you know, in a war, like you were a veteran. It doesn't have to be that maybe you were sexually assaulted. It, it doesn't have to be just that, right? Trauma for everybody is when we have not processed some adverse um, event and put it in the correct place in our brain and we are still triggered by it. So it could be being bullied, it could be your mom or dad says something that, you know, stuck with you in a negative way. Trauma does not have to be what people consider these big life altering kind of events, because for one person, mama saying you're ugly could be traumatic and affect them for the rest of their lives right? and can cause the anxiety, can cause mm-hmm. the depression to kind of build up in their lives. So MDR can be used to go to whatever the traumatic event, whatever the disturbing event was, and allows the brain to put it in the proper place. And when I say proper place, it means that it's putting in the place in your brain that's like, okay, this happened. What did I learn from it? Okay, now I'm going to store it back there. And I'm not going to have it up front where I'm always going to be triggered. So you'll never, you'll still remember that the event happened. You'll still remember the event was horrible, but now we're no longer triggered by it. And sometimes that can be achieved much faster than traditional talk therapy. So that's EMDR. It can be used for anything and everything that has affected you adversely. Clinical hypnotherapy is a way to go into your subconscious. Once again, it could be useful. could be very useful for anxiety, right? But go into your subconscious and actually get the answers from yourself that you already have within you to help you uh, um, manage or stop being triggered by the events that are making you anxious. So we're using another part of our brain, right? And the hypnotherapy just helps you to relax so that we can get to that deeper consciousness because it's in that part of your of our consciousness that everything is stored, everything that we've done, right? We think we know everything, but really it's all, it's like the iceberg. Most of what we know, most of our behaviors, most of our habits come from everything below the water level. And that is our subconscious. So once we can tap into that, 
we can we are able to make the changes on the subconscious level so that on a conscious level it becomes easier to live the life that we really want to live. Awesome. Um, now you, I've seen your Instagram page. I'm, I'm just waiting for the day where you change your profile picture to you holding a <laughs> megaphone because you are a gifted imposter syndrome expert. Please tell the Sandbox champions what imposter syndrome is and why it's often a critical element in the lives of Gen Xers or just mm-hmm. women over 40. In so particular. imposter syndrome is when you're feeling like a fraud, this now and imposter okay. syndrome also does not only have to occur in the boardroom, right? It's mostly associated with that. But as women, we can feel imposter syndrome as parents. We can feel imposter syndrome as partners, imposter syndrome as wives, imposter syndrome as daughters and um, sisters as well, right? But really what imposter syndrome is, is feeling... Um, like you're a fraud, despite all the accomplishments, all the accolades that you may have received, but you still feel like you're not enough, right? Wow. That it doesn't matter that you have a PhD in mathematics. You still don't know math for some reason or the other, (laughs) you know? And, and also, a lot of this can come from, once again, something happening earlier in your life, usually, that made you feel like you weren't enough. Someone told you, oh, yeah, you got an A, but you're really not that smart anyway. Right? Or someone said it to somebody else, mm-hmm. and you over- overheard it, so you're like, okay, I can't. You know, just because you get an A, you're not smart kind of thing. In my personal life, it was, right. I think it was first or first grade or second grade that one of the teachers told my mother that I couldn't read. So for my entire life, (laughs) I went through saying that I cannot read. I graduated college. I got a master's, the first master's, and I was still saying I can't read. I used to call myself functionally illiterate. So that means that I would show up. I would not show up in certain places. I wouldn't speak publicly. I sure wouldn't read out loud (laughs) to anybody. You know, and I'm in my late 20s, early 30s at this point, you know, so it was, it was um, mm. so it's almost like you have to do that work to go back to that point to realize that what she said was not correct. And even if it was, it was maybe it was correct for that time. Right? And then all that I've done, right. I do accomplish. It's not a fraud. No one just gave it to me. You know, no one made a mistake by giving me a degree or two. You know, I actually earned it. I actually did the work to achieve it. And I should be able to hold my head up high knowing that I accomplished that. But when you have imposter syndrome, you kind of cower yourself. You make yourself smaller or you try to do even more than you need to do in order to try to prove that you are worthy of being where you are. I see. Yeah, I can speak on that for (laughs) days like do I belong here? These people don't understand me, but you know, there are all sorts of programs for and templates and lists for everything. So it's okay if it happens later. I um, was listening to the Anthony O'Neill podcast maybe a couple of months ago, and he was talking about some survey. If y'all listen to him, yeah, y'all know he's mm-hmm. big on stats. And I think it was like 50 or maybe 60 something percent of 
millennials aged 20, like uh, under 30, think that they haven't accomplished a lot in life or their ship has sailed mm-hmm. by 25. And I said, that is insane to me. Like you haven't started living yet, but I guess people, you know, compare themselves to social media or TV or whatever the heck it is. And then, of course, you know, you'll always have that, you know, I'm 25 mm-hmm. and I'm not married crew. But um, yeah, I I get it. I mean, I just got my master's last year, despite a million concussions at mm-hmm. 44. And it took me a year longer than everybody in my program. But exactly. so what? I did it. Exactly. And that. That quarter life crisis thing, I don't think it's something new, really. Maybe it's just something that they have actually went out and tried to measure so they can have some stats behind it. But I remember (laughs) at 25, I had that same breakdown. Like, I'm 25. What's going on with my life? I don't have the car. I don't have the house. I was interested in marriage at that point. But, (laughs) you know, I didn't have the million dollars. All of these things that I thought would have happened at 25 had not occurred. You know, so I, um, and I remember my mother saying, hey, hold up, <laughs> like, you're doing good, you know, but I I had expectations that were unrealistic, not that they couldn't be achieved, but unrealistic mm-hmm. at the time. And I think now yeah. with the with the generation um, that came after me, they they are seeing stuff out there, like you were saying, on this social media that makes it seem like it is so easy to make a million dollars. Like everybody's happy all the time, not realizing that she is only showing those Mm -hmm. happy pictures. (laughs) He is only showing, you know, when he made a million dollars, he didn't show when he lost 2 million. (laughs) Or you don't know what that person's process was. We don't know how long they've been in it. It's not overnight. They might've just gone on social media to talk about Mm -hmm. it, but it's not overnight, you know? Exactly. Um, so, and I, I will not get on my soapbox here, but this isn't regular AJ that's answering, asking you these questions. This is pissed off AJ, whose favorite mantra is take me back to the nineties when things were normal. I, I just hate how woefully dependent on a computer chip this world is now. Nobody uses their brain and doing anything manually is frowned upon because it's, you know, Alexa and Siri. And, you know, I said, if y'all didn't have Mm -hmm. these damn apps, you would sink. You would sink. We really are living in, you know, George Jetson meets 1984 meets Handman's Tale with a little bit of Behold a Pale Horse thrown in. That's just where we are. Uh you know, but would you agree or disagree that the 40 plus crowd often feels out of place in this computer tech driven world that just seems to cater to millennials and Gen Z? And if so, what can our age group do to keep up, if you will, or, or even surpass our I young counterparts? What we need, our age group needs to remember, we, we created this, right? <laughs> When I was in college in the mid um, uh, 1990s, right, that's when the internet was just coming out. That's when chats were just coming out, when when regular people (laughs) had access to it. You know, so we kind of created this Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of grew up with it. And I think if we, not in the sense like our children have grown up with it, but we've seen the progression of it. 
And I think if we remember that we were there from the start, that we may not be as um, as shy about interacting with the mm-hmm. technology. Right? We definitely, I know the technology definitely works for me um, and my business and the way I conduct therapy because I do a lot of it online and it has made it easier and more accessible to so many more people. Right. So there's benefits to it. Mm-hmm. So we have to, we have to try not to be afraid of it. And, mm-hmm. and yes, and we, the one thing we know it's limitations because <laughs> we were there when it started. We know what it can do. And because we are able, we have been taught to critically think, right? So we'll be able, right. I believe at least that we can have a lot more control over it and know how to use it more. We'll know how to use the technology more than letting the technology use it, us, whereas some of the younger generations, the technology is using them. So we have, we have okay. a benefit, yeah. I believe over them in that sense. I think that's good. And I'm trying to recall, I guess I should have did this before the show started. I'm trying to recall, there's a lady, an um, much older white lady that has a YouTube channel. And it's all about getting Gen Xers and baby boomers acclimated mm-hmm. to tech. I mean, very basic videos, you know, how to do a screenshot, where's the home button, you know, how to turn the desktop on. I I think I'd I'd love to have her on the show one day. We need things like that. And especially now with this AI nonsense, that's really, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, making, it's crippling us. And, you know, of course, as a writer, I hate AI uh, because it's it's out here to make very, very simple people who weren't born with a lot of brain cells sound smart. You know, um, and and I would be entirely pissed to the 14th degree if if somebody, you know, who didn't know me back in the day would would say, oh, that's well written. Did you use AI or chat? (laughs) Hell no. (laughs) No. There's not a, I'll say it again. My brain is is a jigsaw puzzle that somebody threw a stick of dynamite at. There is not an app, a piece of technology at all that that can come up with some of the weird, abstract, organic mm-hmm. things out of my head. And I believe that's the case for a lot of writers, you know, j- just good old fashioned, old school, beautiful, organic weirdness. Of, of actual writers. And I said, now with all the AI stuff, what's going to happen to the copy editing jobs, the the editor jobs, the, you know, professional t- typist jobs. And it, this, yeah, this AI mess is, is really going to do more harm than good eventually, I think. Now, going back to statistics, you know, I keep hearing this whole Black women are the fastest growing entrepreneur demographic in, you know, history right now. What are some employment trends that you're noticing among black and brown women in our age group who get their, you know, second win, if you will, entrepreneurs or not, as it relates to imposter so, syndrome? Um, the employment trends, and that, so as it relates to imposter syndrome, really it's getting to that point where I can say, okay, I'm enough. I've done, I've been in an HR director for the last 15 years. I do know something about HR, all right? And there's a particular aspect of mm-hmm. HR that now I'm going to go and become a consultant and start my own business with, or now I'm going to create a course and teach it online, 
or now I'm going to provide my services to smaller organizations, you know, so I could have more control over Mm -hmm. my time. I think as, as we get older, there's a, a starting to be a, a payoff between time and money. So whereas when you're younger, the money was important. Okay. It was the most important thing. I just wanted the highest paying job with the most benefits. And that's what I'm going for. And I think as we get older and maybe okay. we've, um, maybe we've saved a little bit, maybe we haven't, but we realize that time becomes more important, right? And being in control of okay. our time. So this is why I believe in part that um, black women are becoming entrepreneurs a lot more because they're trying to control their time. Yes, they're trying to control their finances. And of course, there's uh, opportunities to make a lot of money and maybe even more money than you were making working for someone else. But a lot of it, I believe, is driven by time and the control of your time. Because a lot of times as women, we don't feel like our time is is ours, right? You be the work of somebody else. You might have families. You might have young children. You might have parents that you're taking care of. And then there's like no time for you. So to get into a position where you feel right. like, okay, I need to be able to control my time. Yes, I want some money. I need to live off of that too. I need to be able to control my time. Because that's now become the most valuable thing to me. That's good because... You know, I'm I'm always thinking about, um, you know, especially when you're slaving mm-hmm. for nothing, like burning the candle at both ends. I used to call myself the odd job mm-hmm. specialist, you know, and the president of the exhaustion club because, you know, I, I, I had the hour commute to a job that was only paying twenty five hundred dollars a month. Um, and it, it was always the usual excuse. Well, nonprofit mm-hmm. doesn't pay. It's about the cause. I'm like, well, hell, I got to eat in order to come help y'all. With the cause. And and there was a time when I was Ubering the early shift from five to about 